Hello, everybody. Happy Monday. Monday in February. It might be cold outside, but we have some warmth and heart today. We're going to go right into talking again to Dr. Penny Brandt. I'm Alika Hope, your host, joined by my Change, big brother. Also known as Emil. How y'all doing? Well, I hope they're doing well because if you didn't listen last week, you got to listen to last week's podcast as well as this week because let me also add that last week was Valentine's Day and y'all made a had a nice, beautiful Valentine's Day with the ones you love or maybe you hate Valentine's Day and so you were just like, screw this. It's all about commercialism. Whatever you're feeling on Valentine's Day was, is, let me tell you, it is nothing compared to the utter drama, romance, losses, <laughs> single parenthood, love, everything of female composers Cooper back in the Lloyd. day. We had to bring Penny back. We had to bring Penny, Penny back. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us again. We had such a good time with you. We couldn't let it we couldn't let it drop. So I know you have more to share. So let's jump right in because man, these stories were awesome. Oh, you know, thank you. It's so fun to be here. Emil, I know you took classical music classes at the Academy and I took them at Notre Dame, but Penny, we never had this kind of, you know, t- why, what, what's going on, Penny? We want to have a music class with right? you. A music well, class. Um, I hope that you'll come take one. Um, okay. You know, I think that there's a shift in, in teaching in general, trying to think more about um, the cultural aspects of what was going on in history. Um, mm. But certainly in music, um, in music history, there was a shift around the 90s from uh, what we call in air quotes, old musicology to new musicology. Um, okay. where we used to talk a lot about the music as though it was this um, its own entity. The music itself was the thing that we were talking about and its like ideas of life. And we weren't so much talking about the composers and their stories. And um, that's changed a lot. Now we talk a lot more about composers and the uh, environments that they grew up in and where they were writing their music and how that had an impact on who they are and what the music was. And um, there's just a lot more history to learn because, you know, we have so access to so much more information now than we used to. Um, And we need these kinds of grounding moments of um, real life stories, the real life drama and romance and all of these exciting things to pull us in so that we want to listen to this music. Mm, You just said that so well, because there's, like Emil was saying last week, there's so much feeling in this music. And now I kind of know where it comes from. It's human. It's very, it's very much about the human experience. And these women had very human experiences, some of which no man can actually replicate in their music. So as beautiful as Bach and Beethoven and all these guys were, they didn't, they weren't single moms. They weren't, you know, sure. sex workers in that, and sp- certainly not in that context, because a lot of them were pretty freaky. And right. they weren't, um, <laughs> and, and they weren't having to. Amadeus, like, Amadeus. Right. <laughs> they weren't having to navigate social restrictions. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit, Penny, about mm. those social restrictions, because I think there's something inside there that we can unpack. Sure. I mean, some of the things that I think about a lot is that, you know, women weren't 
able to have the kinds of public lives that men were able to have. And one of the reasons that we don't know about women's music is because they were often writing music in very different contexts. We can go all the way back to the 1100s and look at someone like Hildegard von Bingen, who was a nun who wrote music. Uh She wrote music in the 1100s, but she wrote it for nuns to sing in an enclosed monastery. And so we didn't even discover her music until like the 1990s. 90s, somebody was like cleaning out the church basement, I don't know, out there in this monastery in Germany, and found that there was music that she had written in the 1100s for these nuns to sing that nobody outside of this building had wow. heard. That's cr- so. Have you heard any of it performed? Oh yeah, you can hear. It. You can look up Hildegard online now. Now there are all kinds of recordings since the 1990s. People have gone in and, and re-recorded this stuff, and you can you have access to it on so YouTube. D- <laughs> I let me ask you because as you we love you too. As you know, since you are a, a music history history person, I'm wondering like because the the music was made to just be heard by nuns in, you know, cloistered nuns. Did any of it mm-hmm. say like um we're so glad we don't have to hang out with men all day. Um <laughs> Okay. Anyway, so I mean, not so much because most of this music is for um, is for uh, the performance of you know the performance yeah. of worship, right? And so okay, a lot okay. of this is religious music, and it uses texts from the Bible and these kinds of things. Okay. Um, but there are people who argue that you know that some of these enclosed monasteries, um, part of the reason women were so enthusiastic about their existence was to get away from men um, well, because it was a very safe place to hang out i mean plus you don't have to pick up anybody's socks right right because only right. men leave their socks around the house <laughs> swear, so, swear. But I'm so oh, oh, of course boy. as i've oh, done in the lectures i'll be listening to her music too i had to look her up. this woman this hildegard von bingen was a polymath like she was more than just a, a, a oh, yeah. writer a composer she was oh. medicinal she was writing about medicine and practice medicine for her sisters mm-hmm. in the nunnery. She was doing all sorts of things. She was mother superior. She wrote all sorts of botanical really? works. I'm like, holy mm-hmm. crap. So this is kind of, mm-hmm. you know, these these are the, the stories that I need to know because we're, we're limited mm-hmm. in our creativity <laughs> because we don't know how other people express theirs. Absolutely. Ooh, well yeah. Well One of the things I love about Hildegard, and you can you can go either way with your belief system with this. Okay. Hildegard. Um, so- oh no, we lost Dang her. Dang it, because she was about to go off. I know, and I like how she said different belief systems. Bring Penny back. <laughs> Bring Penny back. Where'd she go? Come back, Penny. Oh, we found Penny again. We're so glad, Penny. I know <laughs> Wi-Fi. You know, I mean, they didn't even Ooh, have it in the 1600s. That's At least true. we got Wi-Fi now. But we want to hear what you were going to say. So you were saying, you know, it depends on people's belief. But and then we lost you. Keep going. Gotcha. Okay. So Hildegard, um, yeah. the reason that we have so much, uh, so many recordings, uh, recorded writings about her science and her writing, her philosophy, her visions, is because she told people in her time period that she was getting visions from God. And she would go into this kind of a fit and then she would come out and she would say, God told me that we should use these herbs in medicine or God wrote this piece of music. And so the monks of her time, they, they said, God is speaking through her. And they, they made sure because um, women weren't taught to write. They were writing things down for her. She had scribes. They were working through all of this stuff because they believed that it was God who was speaking through her. And so we can now, you know, a thousand years later, 
say Hildegard had visions from God, had this deep spiritual connection, or we could say mm-hmm. this was a really smart woman who figured out how to get men to listen to her. Either way, she the bomb. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could you yeah. could definitely believe either one, and so either mm-hmm. she the bomb because God spoke to her, or she the bomb because she figured out how to na- navigate the system. I don't care yep. either way. Yep, yep. We like you, she Hildegard. She was canonized by Pope Benedict. She was you know beatified by Pope <gasps> John the Twelfth a long time yeah. ago, like eight hundred mm-hmm. years ago. So this woman was really mm-hmm. something of a phenomenon in her time. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I yep. now yep. I've got yep. three women that I've queued up in my YouTube right. uh music queue because I'm like, yo, I gotta hear this stuff. Wait, 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 wait. Emil, Emil, you missed somebody. See, don't go mansplain it to me because I got four <laughs> names here. I got Barbara, <laughs> I got Hildegard, I got Teresa, and I got Clara. Wait, so I, I forget? forgot Clara. Dang it. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whose husband died? I got this right. Wait, whose husband died, and then who may or may not had an affair with Brahms, who was ten years her junior. You know, I didn't even mm-hmm. write that down. Mm-hmm. Yep. That just shows yep. you that I'm like so intrigued by this. This is like Netflix on my podcast right now. I was like, I remembered every single thing Clara you said. Penny, Schumann like, is, tell me more. is now in the queue. Tell yes, me more. She's, she's in. I love it. I love it. We're not playing, man. Like this, this show yeah. is about wait, to her. make my we my got another music. One let's go nuts i'm so excited okay email i think she has one more let's let's like oh i have five i have a ton more i could do this okay, all tell day us some more. yes yes yes, yes. Um, okay uh someone who's uh similar in time period to clara schumann is fanny mendelssohn hensel and sort of like <gasps> hildegard fanny okay. was writing music for fancy parties in her home because okay. it, again it was kind of unseemly in the 19th century for a woman to be publishing music that would suggest that i need money and then that gets associated to it. in the 19th and 18th centuries especially if women were working that gets associated with sex work we don't want that we want to be able to marry ah. fancy husbands so we can't publish music but we're writing music for these fancy parties in her house and something that we've started to find out more and more about is that Fanny Mendelssohn Hensel, she has a famous brother you may have heard of, Felix Mendelssohn. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking she, of. Yeah. Girl was passing pieces to her brother to publish. <gasps> and we're learning more and more that some of Felix's pieces were actually composed by Fanny. They had these letters they wrote to each other where they talked about how funny it would be if, if he published something that was by her. And um, so they had a fun Scandal. time doing that. What? Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then she could be the proper housewife. Nobody ever knew. And she got to have her music out there in the public. Wow. So wait, so did her brother actually write stuff also? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They definitely right. were both wondering. composers. Um, and okay. uh, sometimes he said that he thought she was a better composer than he was. You Look know, musicologists can get into arguments about that. But uh, yeah, she had so he actually really said interesting that. stuff. Yeah, he did. He did. And That's it seems so like she was probably a better piano player than he was, too. <laughs> but I, I got I to <laughs> shout out Felix because he's kind of like, you know, Felix reminds me mm-hmm. of Emil and Karim. And they will mm-hmm. admit when their sister is better at them than something. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, I shout out to brothers who will admit when their sisters are better we have right. we have right right, right. too because you'll do the stuff we won't do you know yeah. i don't sing you know oh, our oh, brother oh, oh. does not oh, sing gotcha. so we will give you all sorts of shine because we're not even going to try <laughs> uh-huh. so, so felix was like yeah y'all know i, I don't play piano as well as fanny so go ahead let her let her play because I'm, I'm, I'm about to go milk this cow is that what you're saying okay uh-huh sure oh. sure <laughs> all right Absolutely. so you have plenty is there another one yeah, and yeah. i'm just 
Well, unlike, I mean, this is a person who we don't have any of her music, but I will say oh. that the brother, the brother who did not give his sister any credit is uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And um, there's a lot of uh, musicologists who suggest that his older sister, Maria Anna Mozart, uh-huh. was probably his first teacher. She um, wrote down his first symphony and she was actually the prodigy before him. She's, she's five years older than him. And so, okay. um, and her parents, we like to say when you have a child prodigy, you have two things going on. You have a talented kid and you have a motivated mm-hmm. parent. Mozart's mm. parents were motivated. Leopold Mozart, the dad, he really yep. wanted his kids out there in public. Um, and it was Maria first. She was out in public. She was a prodigy. Everybody was excited about her. She was playing piano for everybody. And of course, she would learn to write music because in that time period, you learned everything at once. You learned to play. You learned to write. You learned to arrange. You learned to, oh. to do all of the different things. Um, and so she was the first person teaching her younger brother. But as soon as his talent came out um he was the one that got that got put in front of people and for good reason by the time he's five six seven and she's 10 11 12 again we have to worry about her marriage Mm -hmm. prospects and so she's brought back inside the house we don't want to see her performing in public um and wolfgang becomes the the big prodigy that we care about interesting it's Mm -hmm. that's so that's so different from women performers now who are all about going out in public and shaking it for everybody. Anyway, um, so yeah, was gonna, the yeah. reclaiming of that, right? Yeah, the reclaiming right. of that presence and sexuality and all of those things. Absolutely. So she was teaching her yeah. brother uh, and she probably mm-hmm. herself may have been a prodigy, prodigy. And then all of a sudden she gets mm-hmm. of age, puberty happens, adolescence happens. And her, her parents are like, okay, you need to be a proper woman so you can get married off and the family can prosper. And yet mm-hmm. she may have continued to do work. Is that what you're saying? Like she continued to perhaps have more influence over Mozart's music than we recognize. I mean, we just don't know. Certainly when he mm-hmm. was when he was really little, um, she would be the person that she would be playing mm-hmm. games with him. And that's how he, he first learned to play piano and first learned to write things down. Um, at the point where he's then in public writing his own stuff, okay. we just don't know. We just don't have any evidence and we don't know what kind of a relationship they, they had or what kinds of conversations they had. He had a, a friend, Mariana Martinez, who was a piano player and composer in Vienna at the same time that Mozart was in Vienna who he did often perform duets with, who probably they talked about uh, music composition together. They both worked with Haydn. Um, They had a lot of mutual acquaintances around Vienna. And so there were certainly other women that he was interacting with. Um, She she was in a different situation. She had inherited a lot of money and she never had to marry. And so she was able to be in the the public eye a lot longer. (laughs) Wow, that's so... You know what? That's fascinating. So if you were rich... And you don't have to worry about marrying a man. You could do what you want, basically. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what Mariana Martinez got away with. And Mariana Martinez is another person whose music we've started to rediscover. You can hear some of her um, symphonias on YouTube. You can hear some of her piano music. Um, And uh, yeah, she didn't have to get married. So she was able to be in the public longer. All right, we're going to come right back with some more from Penny. Um, We could talk to Penny all day, clearly. Uh, We'll be right back after this break. Interlude music by Lawrence V. White. 
Oh, I was jamming to our own music, courtesy of Lawrence V. White. Lawrence V. White would be very happy to hear about all these females. I, 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 Lawrence V. White, I got to shout you out because you are very much a supporter of strong women. So we appreciate you, Lawrence V. White, and your music. Anyway, I'm digressing. However, that's what we do on this show. Um, I just looked up Mariana Von. Well, we've got two different spellings here. Mariana Von Martinez and Mariana Martinez. But it looks like she was a child prodigy also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the thing, right? Most of, most of the people that you um, can find their music are described as child prodigies. I don't know what that is. I guess you get out there early and then you, uh, you get to keep writing music. Okay. So, well, and also, I mean, it's interesting because maybe they, nowadays we call them child prodigies because they published stuff when they were like 10, which nowadays 10 year olds are usually on, you know, Minecraft. So, <laughs> right. our, our, well, I mean, our lifespan is so much longer too, right? People back then were dying at like 30 because they didn't have, you know, sanitation and antibiotics. So sure. Child prodigy is all kind of relative. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's the kind of schooling too, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they weren't going to elementary school and learning to play piano on the side. I mean, if they had somebody in their life that could teach them to play piano and do music like that, that was school, right? They so weren't really that, learning. That begs things. the question that perhaps all children are prodigies given the right, uh, let's call it fertilizer, right? Because all children are really sprouts and seeds and all we have to do is give them the right sunshine mm-hmm. and fertilizer. So these women... Uh, especially someone like Mariana Martinez or, or M- Maria Anna Mozart, they had the right fertilizer, the right sunlight, the right water, so that they could really flourish yeah. young. This is a beautiful. This is a be- beautiful stories, but I want to kind of go to the other side. Are there any women who blossom late in life where their work maybe um, is just now being discovered or is being? Uh, performed. I know one. I know one. I know one. Wait, wait, wait. I'm, raising, I'm, I'm literally sitting in my chair in the podcast room raising my hand. I got one. I got one. And I, that's what I just did. That's hilarious, y'all. Anyway, yeah. Penny Florence. Uh-huh. Do you want to talk about my girl Florence? Uh, gosh, I don't know. Maybe you should talk about your girl Florence. She's a great oh. example. Absolutely. Okay. Well, do, do you want to say anything before I go on about her? Or because she's a very, I think she's a great example of, um, of, okay, I'll say it. Florence Price. Florence Price. Emil, have you ever Not heard of Florence Price? remotely. Okay, you need to write that down, look it up, mm-hmm. put it in your stuff, because Florence Price, so I've done, I actually got a grant to do a bunch of in-school workshops about Florence with a little, um, with a little, they're not little, but with a, um, uh, not a symphony, what's a smaller symphony called? Penny, help me out here. Uh, string quartet. I got it. Okay. Yeah, great. Good. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so Florence Price was born in 1887, and she is actually African-American, and she was a classical composer, pianist, organist. She was well-educated. She has had her time. Like, she was known somewhat, I would say, back in the day, back in the beginning of 20th century, but she has really entered into this blossoming, uh, beautiful, the past 10 years, there's now a Florence Price Festival. Um, Mm -hmm. and her father was a black dentist and her mother was, um, a Caucasian music teacher. And, you know, this is like, by the way, in, I think she was in Arkansas when she was born. And so Mm -hmm. she created 
all these symphonic things. And she won some awards, um, but she died in 1953 and people tried to bury her stuff. Um, oh, absolutely. Abs- and, right? and in her yeah. lifetime, she was actually, she was the first black woman to have a symphony performed by um, the Chicago Symphony wow. Orchestra. She was in Chicago. That's a huge right? deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's true. Then at, after she died, there was nobody championing her work. Not and there all. were people who were very threatened by having a black woman in classical music and there was a I mean a concerted effort to bury her for sure and she had been so successful um toward toward the end of her life mm-hmm. and and she had kids and um, her husband was actually a lawyer it's really interesting where she fits in in history because at the beginning of the 20th century I think she was allowed to flourish more uh and this was all before world war ii so don't mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna be like my brother and say don't y'all quote me here but this is partly my opinion <laughs> and partly facts but there was that time mm-hmm. period where i think a black woman was allowed to allowed uh yeah i'm gonna say allowed that's the right word so being yeah, more flourishing it. in classical music thank mm-hmm. you okay mm-hmm. before the backlash came and she fit in that little period of time right mm-hmm. um she even got divorced by the way she got divorced in like 31 and she and uh so just a divorced black woman and mm-hmm. so i think that there is that time period like 19 early 1900s where she got away with and i'm gonna say it she got away with being mm-hmm. successful and having these things and then people are like wait no what what mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then the Jim Crow laws came. I mean, all that stuff. I think that's how she uh-huh. got buried. She, yeah. Um, yeah. There's a wonderful um, researcher. Her name is uh, Dr. Samantha Ege, who does a lot of work on Florence Price. And she performs a lot of Florence Price's music. And I got to hear her talk once about this community of um, really excellent uh, African-American, like just excellence in Chicago in the 1930s, where I think what you're saying is exactly right, Alika, that like there was this time period where um, there there was a lot of work that was being celebrated. Um, Florence Price was friends with Langston Hughes, who was writing beautiful poetry in this time mm. period. And um, there was some really uh really cool stuff going on but then uh there was a backlash right in the united states there's suddenly um you know suddenly people were uncomfortable seeing how successful this community of african-american folks was and so there was you know there were forces that got together and tried to to stamp that out i am so Mm -hmm. awed by her work and her story Mm -hmm. you know i love Mm -hmm. uh black history and, and it's happy black history month and so this is you know for me, this is just exciting because now my playlist is so diverse. Mm-hmm. It come not just covers multiple eras, but it covers multiple ethnicities. You know, we have a Venezuelan, we have an African American, mm-hmm. we have German, we have Italian, and and all these women were literally unknown to me. And so this is like for me. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 by the way, Emil is like a walking encyclopedia, Penny. So this is a big deal that something's right, like, unknown to him. Right, and so ahead, this Emil. this gives me yeah. a chance to to dive into something I didn't know in a way that I can listen mm-hmm. and read and really get contact. Con- so in, for me, history has context. Always, 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 history has context. These mm-hmm. are human beings who did everything from you know they had bad days and got sick and caught colds and got pregnant and chased after girls or men or you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, stole things like th- like history always has context. And so the more context I can put to history, not only does it become a yeah. better 
way for me to remember it, but it also humanizes my existence. I don't have to be perfect and still have my name remembered under the for the things oh, that I love happened. That. So I don't have to walk through life thinking that all these people were so perfect and now that when I do my thing, I have to be like them. I can be me because they were themselves and still have an impact mm -hmm. on the world without having to aspire to perfection. Oh, absolutely. What a beautiful sentiment. I love that. It's very true because of this cancel culture thing. Like, I think the more that we as a culture in general realize that the people before us weren't perfect and neither are we, mm -hmm. uh, I think it can increase tolerance. And, and Penny, can you tell us about the Institute for Composer Diversity or other organizations, places that are helping to, you know, increase awareness of composers that might have been lost to history? Sure. Um, the Institute for Composer Diversity is a, a team that I love working with. They're based out of SUNY Fredonia, and um, they were uh, they started as just a directory created by um, composer Rob Deemer, who wanted to uh, make sure that people's music was available to people. Now they're led up. Um, they have a whole team of um, leaders, uh, Mandart Chan and Jared Gear and Miley Harrod, who are helping um, Rob uh, to continue this work. Um, and now they do a lot of research on composers in addition to the directory that they maintain so that if you're somebody who wants to perform music, if you've got a community orchestra or you've got a high school band and you're looking mm. for music and you want to do something different that's not just the Mozart, Beethoven thing that everybody else is doing, you can go to their website and you can put in your instrumentation and you can um, wow. uh, look at different kinds of pieces of music and they'll help you find get access to it, right? Because that's one mm -hmm. of the biggest things like a lot of people want to do things differently but they don't have the resources they don't have access to um, getting different kinds of music and it could be a lot of work to try and learn all of this stuff at once right yeah uh, so you know so it's great that they have these kinds of resources and then they also do um, some research on things like uh, the mainstream orchestras what kind of music are they playing how much music are they playing that's by women composers or by composers of color so mm -hmm. that we can kind of keep track of what the trends are um, out there in the world. This it, this so empowers That's me. It so good. enlightens me. It makes me feel great. I'm on the website now for the Institute of uh, Composer Diversity. It's, <laughs> it's composerdiversity.com. You've made my like, brother's like, day. Like, this right. is what I do, right? Okay. Uh, composerdiversity.com. This is a really cool way because I remember growing up at the Air Force Academy specifically when we marched and we marched every day, five days a week to breakfast and lunch. And we would hear different march, uh, marching music, right? And it was always men. Mm -hmm. And I'm like so fascinated because there might be some marching music by women or uh, black composers because there's only, you know, there's like John Philip Sousa and a bunch of other guys that mm -hmm. kind of just stay in the rotation, right? They just stay in the rotation. And and I right, would like right, to have, right. I would, and I'm going to search their database to find music that I could have been marching to that didn't come from the, the standards because I want to hear all mm -hmm. of these different mm -hmm. ways that people interpreted the same type of music because these interpretations have their own flourishes and, and creativity. Can you talk a little bit, Penny, about what is the difference in, in some of these composers, what they bring to the table and why their voices matter in the music that's being played? 
Mm -hmm. Well, every person, I mean, I love that with art, anytime you bring different perspectives in, you're going to get different kinds of um, cultural influences, you're going to get different kinds of personal influences. One thing I find in looking at music by women versus music by men is not so much that there are specific differences in the music, but certainly that women are often telling women's stories in their music, going back to some of the stuff we were talking about, the single moms. Also, Olivieris and Giacomo Respighi, she wrote this set of three Spanish songs, um, and one of them is a lullaby that is a lament. And it is this um, song, the, the mother is singing, The her baby daddy has left her for another woman, and she is... <laughs> singing about how hard it is and how she feels worthless and she's trying to get her baby to sleep and there's there are all these like beautiful lullabies by Brahms that are like soft and quiet and stay quiet the whole time because mm. the baby's sleeping and the mom is happy and in this song she like gets loud she's like scream singing and you can kind of imagine this baby like <laughs> crying because it won't go to sleep and she's having this hard day and like I love this song and it's actually based on a, a Sephardic folk song um, that the text actually comes even farther back in history but like this is when you have women writing music about women's stories these are the kinds of things that show up and I think that that's what's so important this like real humanity like you were talking about Emil mm -hmm. the real humanity of this music the more people whose stories are are part of that the more we get to hear this rich um, tapestry that is humanity so what was her name again well, Elsa I think the more what people was it will listen oh Elsa Olivieri San Giacomo Respighi. She was married to the more famous Italian composer Adorino Respighi. Thank you. I'm going to put her in. She's in. She's going in. The, she's going in. <laughs> awesome. You know, it's, it's reminding me too of like when when Queen Latifah and Little Kim came on the scene back in the day. I started listening to more rap because mm -hmm. I was hearing stuff that wasn't just about uh -huh. you know men's views on women's, but I was hearing stuff about women's experiences. And I and now I love rap. I just love yeah, rap. But yeah. like back in the day, I was like, I have no connection to this. And I'm thinking about classical. Is like now that you said there's a lullaby that's you know about the fact that yeah, well, let's lullaby the baby screaming because sometimes they be getting on my nerves with their you know with their college <laughs> right, or whatever. Yes. Right, and that's okay. Yeah, and yeah. I'm thinking now, man, I would I would have loved to have both lullabies because sometimes the baby sleeps soundly, but mm -hmm. sometimes let's be real. And now it's making me love classical music right. even more, mm -hmm. having this this wealth of of um, of knowledge from you, Penny. And I and I have a couple questions for you. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're we're closing the show, and and one of the thought is, do you know how a soprano sings the scales? Do you know how a soprano does it? <laughs> she says, you know. Do, re, mi, me, 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 me. <laughs> oh, I love As it. As a soprano, I can tell that joke. I love that. And I want to close out. I want to close out to one that we know that even Jamie can relate to. So, <clears throat> what's the difference between a musician and a large pizza? Pepperoni. Oh, I don't know. Sausage. Cheese. A pizza can wait, wait. A pizza can feed a family of four. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> oh, yeah, Penny. We've loved having you on the show. We thank you for, to educating us. I have not felt this educated in a long time. Dude, right oh, now. I love Penny. You have here. been a phenomenal guest, and thank you so much for enlightening us on the dark side of the beautiful. And that is that women who have been overlooked gave us music that we should all appreciate. So thank you so much for illuminating that side mm -hmm. of music for us. Thank you for having me. It's always fun with you too. 
And once again, you want to learn more about Dr. Penny Brandt, please Google her, Dr. Penny Brandt, B-R-A-N-D-T. And you can find out lots about her and lots more about unknown female composers. This is Alika Hope. We are Alika Hope and Change. And Emil and I are going to sign off and go listen to some female composers now (laughs) to carry on. If you enjoyed what you heard today on Alika Hope and Change, please head over to iTunes to rate the show and leave a review. It's really the best way for you to show your support for the show. And bonus, it costs you zero dollars. Join the conversation on Instagram, share this episode with your friends on social media, or just tell others by word of mouth. Thank you and keep sharing hope and change.